You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Yeah, the, the lyrics where they added, they added, you know, another dimension to the song. And I always love being the storyteller in general. I love telling stories and reading stories. So I wanted to write the story of what the music was, you know, saying. Yeah, the lyrics are very important, you know, for me. I would always, when I'd be listening to bands, you know, I'd always have the, the liner notes in my hand and I'd be reading the lyrics along with, with the music and stuff because, like, it just added so much more to the story of the song. And, you know, with, without, without that, it, you know, there was, there was a big piece missing for me. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk all about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer. Before we jump into today's episode, I would just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that is an aspiring writer, well, you should let them know that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast exists. You can tell them that there are over 380 episodes where I sit down with some of the world's best metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer. If you were to encourage one of your aspiring writer friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today on the podcast, I'm very stoked to be joined by Michael Centrone, the author and the ex-vocalist of Dehumanize. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 381. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm very stoked to be joined by Michael Centrone, the author. He was also the vocalist of Dehumanize up until recently, a few years ago, three years ago, to be specifically exact. Uh, This episode is recorded at a Thirsty Thursday Live. I love this. I love hanging out with the Thirsty Thursday gang, fellow metalheads that have gone on to do other things, uh, uh, the side hustles that become full-time hustles. I love, love, love this. Michael, how are you doing? Very good, Matt. Thank you for having me. Thank you to to our guests, man, for joining in on this, for this little... uh little party that we got going on here. Hell yes. Talking about a party, Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer. Now, you don't have a craft beer on your side, and that's perfectly fine because we can all do whatever the hell we want here. Uh, What are you going to be drinking tonight that we will be sharing virtually? Just good old piping hot green tea. With uh, yeah, with my my Scrabble letter for the uh, for my name, Michael, here on the mug. I love that. Cheers to you and green tea. Stay, get those antioxidants in you. Uh, get get nice and healthy. Uh, on my side, I will not be doing that. I will be uh, enjoying one of my brand new collabs because I dropped four of them uh, for the four year anniversary of Vox and Hops. Uh, I drank one of them uh, during uh, the live party that happened last Saturday, which uh, Philippe uh, Dervites is here with us tonight. Was at in attendance. This is a uh, from Folly Brewing, Massachusetts. To Jamie Morris. This is killer beer. The Keller beer, and of course we got all the slashers on there, Michael Myers, uh, Jason Voorhees, Pinhead, and Leatherface. So damn cool. Philip Ivanovic just destroying all of my amazing ideas. Uh, he's he's the best. So um, And shout out to, I have to give credit where credit's due, uh, my friend P.Y., my wife's friend P.Y., actually, in a joking manner, said, is there any Keller beers named Killer Beer? And I was like, you know what? There's going to be. 
and here it is. So uh, this is a, a Keller beer, 5.5%. I'm going to crack this while you enjoy your green tea. But as I crack this, I would love to hear about your very first beer. Do you know? Do you remember what your very first beer was? Oof. I mean, it had to have been like probably my dad just giving me like a couple of sips of his beer. So when I was really, really young, you know, I wanted to still like a family get together or whatever. So I'm assuming it was probably like in a can of Bud Light or Budweiser or something. Uh, I guess, yeah, that was my first taste of beer. But then like it was probably, you know, when I got to like junior high school age, you know, early, early teens, when I actually just started to, you know, really get into drinking beer and other liquor and all that stuff. I think, yeah, the first time yeah, that I actually got drunk was in like my original bass player's basement of his parents' house. And we had like a couple of people over and just wiling out. And I just, yeah, it was a weird ass feeling that first time and just being all clumsy and stupid and falling all over the place. And that's, uh, and now, you know, here I am, you know, decades later doing the same stuff, you know, here and there, just <laughs> falling over myself, drinking, you know, just, uh, but I do it a little bit, you know, more responsibly, of course, now, you know, and it, nothing, you know, nothing much has changed there. <laughs> but yeah, those, those are my early, earliest memories of, of drinking, getting drunk. Um, I am no, I am by no means a beer snob. Like, um, I'll, I'll, I'll drink kind of whatever's available. Um, I do have some preferences, like I, I prefer stouts and, you know, when it comes to, you know, harder stuff, I, I, I prefer bourbon. Um, but really like, yeah, whatever's available, I'm, I'm down to except, except straight vodka, straight vodka. I can't do that. I had one really bad episode with that. And just for some reason, like just the smell of it, I, I just, I, I can't do it Can't do it. You poisoned yourself, Michael. That's why it's your body's way of protecting you. <laughs> that one night, yeah, there was straight vodka. It was Blackout City. I would, I would come to, and I'd be like in stride, walking somewhere, Ooh. not knowing what the hell was going on, mad, confused, puking everywhere. It was, yeah, it sucked. That is very dangerous, and uh, is not something that we want to ever happen. Uh, cheers no. to you. Um, I'm enjoying this this killer beer from Folly Brewing uh, in my brand new glassware, which I'm very stoked, and I received two weeks ago. I like it very much. Cheers. Sick, man. Cheers, yeah. Congrats on the anniversary and everything, man. Thank you very much. Uh, this beer is nutty. It's got like a little honey caramel vibe to it. Uh, excellent mouthfeel. Jamie Morris is one of uh, the best brewers. I love collaborating with him. Every one of them that he's done for Vox and Hops, killer. Killer. Let's keep moving. Um I typically start these off with uh, how you've been coping throughout the past few years, uh, having to take a break, but it seems like everything sort of like is encapsulated into one package with you. Dehumanize ended three years ago. There was a global pandemic at the same time. Uh, and then at that exact moment when Dehumanize stopped is at the point when you were like, I'm going to become a writer. And, and you, you totally switch gears in your mind from being a musician to becoming a writer. So talk to me about this period of your life where there was such a major change, despite the fact that you wrote every day all the time and it was something very big for you. You put like this new goal in your mind that you're going to become an author. Yeah. Like, like you said, like my original passion was writing even before music. And yeah, even during my whole 20 plus year musical career, I was still writing on the side, 
you know, whether it was poetry or journaling or short stories or comedy even. And, but I would, I wouldn't really share too much of it with anybody. It was just more kind of like for me. And then, and then, yeah, when Dehumanized broke up in 2019, it was almost like an instant switch that went off in my head where I was like, I saw that new avenue and, and like, I thought, I, I, I thought to myself, I have all this material written over all these years. Why don't I just like start publishing some of it? and just trying to figure out what that process entails and everything. So I, I started from scratch. I'm like, okay, I know how to write, you know, freehand pen and paper. I know how to write a book, but then how do you turn that manuscript? I didn't even know like what manuscript meant even at that time. That's how like from the beginning I started and the whole process uh, but when I did have like my first manuscript together, it was like, okay, now how do I actually turn this into a book like, and, and, and get it out there, you know, for sale and everything. So really it was, a lot of it was, you know, research done independently, watching YouTube videos, you know, following other independent authors. I had a friend who, well, he's still my friend. He actually published a book. It was a, it was actually a horror novel called Ropes in the Attic. The author's name is Ed Flora. Uh, he's a friend of mine. And like towards the end of Dehumanizes Reign, towards the end of their run, I saw that he published his own novel. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. In my head, I'm like, and I bought it and, you know, supporting him and, every, and everything. And the novel was sick. And so I had that kind of in the back of my mind to go on also like, okay, here's physical proof that it's possible. Like you can release a book independently. It's just, so I went to him first for advice on like what steps to take and everything. And then once I had it all kind of like figured out and all put together, and then, then it was in November, 2020, when I published my first book. And, uh, and it's, it's weird. Like <laughs> ironically uh, uh, around that time, I got contacted by, by Mike DeSalvo because he was talking about publishing something of his own also. And now, mind you, this was my first time ever interacting with him. So, like, you know, he knew me from, from Dehumanize, but the first time that he contacted me, it was about my book and, like, being an author, an independent author. Totally came out of left field, and it totally, like, blew my mind because DeSalvo is one of my hugest influences as a vocalist, I mean, it's, it, I can't even explain like what that dude has meant, you know, for me as a vocalist, his style and, and everything. So when he, he hit me up out of the blue and was just like, yo, I, I've been seeing what you've been posting about your book. I'm liking the material, this and that. And he's like, you know, I'm kind of like thinking about doing something like that myself. And this and that. And I almost, almost like started to consult him on like the process of publishing and everything. And then also in my head, I'm thinking like, this is nuts. Like, you know, I'm, 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 you know, interacting with one of my, you know, idols really, you know? And so that was a big boost, you know, big personal boost. And then on top of that, like seeing the reaction that my first book got, like all the support from, you know, friends, family, you know, fans of Dehumanize and, 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 you know, whatever audience I had built through music, you know, it really felt good to, to, to see the reaction and the support 
that the first book got. Now, during the pandemic, really, you know, I didn't have any lockdown period. Like I'm, I'm, I'm an essential, I'm an essential worker, you know? So during the pandemic, I didn't have any time off. I didn't get locked down. I was still out in the front lines. I was still working in the hospitals and everything, you know, right there in the midst of all the action. Um, so I didn't really have, you know, the time off to like fully dedicate to becoming an author. I still had to do it on top of like my day job and everything. And I still do. Um, and then, you know, once I, once I published the first book and then I was looking into like other avenues of publishing and then, you know, then I started thinking about blogging or, you know, freelance writing for magazines and other publications. And, you know, for all my life, like whenever I'd hear the word blog or like heard about somebody blogging, I'd be like, that's, that's stupid. You know, like, I don't know, like what is blogging? What is it? What's the point of blogging? You're just, it's Who's basically gonna like read this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's basically what your, your journal online for everybody to see, you know, what, who cares, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then as I got more like, you know, involved and entrenched in the whole like blogging scene and everything, I got, I got, you know, involved myself and I, I've been having my own blog on medium.com for like the last year and a half. And I've built like, you know, a good following there and everything. And then starting last year, like in November, I started writing for a new noise magazine, um, doing mostly like album reviews, but then, you know, I've also done interviews with, with bands and artists and in their most recent issue 64, the most recent print issue, I did one of the cover stories with with Candlemass, which was sick. Getting to freaking yeah, getting to interview Leaf and you know just like shoot the shit with him like it's it, you know it's it's incredible you know to be. It's interesting to be on this side now of the of the music spectrum, like almost on the side of the media if you want to call it. Um, it's 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 awesome seeing more like behind the scenes stuff that goes into like PR and marketing and everything and then plus on top of that i get a ton of free music and free promo stuff which is huge but yeah i guess it's it's awesome man i'm just really enjoying that part of it so like yeah now you know aside from being an author you know i'm real interested in in journalism and you know other types of of uh content and copywriting and such it's just it's really like this whole new world this whole new arena that I'm just like being born into in a way. And it's, it's really cool, man. I've, I've really been enjoying my time and it's, and it's, it's different because like being in a band, you know, you have like three or four other knuckleheads that yep. you need to like work with. <laughs> yes. Know, if you want to get some, if you want to get something done, you gotta, you gotta like depend on these three or four other people. And even more, again, you can relate cause you're a vocalist too. Like, I can't practice my instrument at home. You know, I have to wait for them to be around so we can get together physically and I can have the band there and I can do my singing with them. And, but with writing, I can do that whenever I want, really. I don't need anybody around to make that happen. And I can work, I can work on it as often as I want to. And I can progress as I can progress at the pace that I dictate, you know, I control the narratives. So like I find that part also really fulfilling and, and, you know, just extra rewarding because like, yeah, it's all on me now. 
you know? And I mean, I have, I have mentors helping me with a lot of stuff, but ultimately, yeah, it's, it's, it's on me. I don't have a band, you know, that's kind of like backing me up or anything, but yeah, like I said, at the same time, it makes it like extra rewarding. So like, that's been my, pretty much like my experience the last few years, like venturing into this new arena of, of literature and writing and stuff. And then also on, on top of it all, writing in general, especially when you do it consistently, it really like helped me learn more about myself in many ways, especially writing poetry too. You know, it, it helped me to discover and really like sort out a lot of, you know, a lot of what I'm about and a lot of, you know, my, my perspective on the world, my perspective on, on myself and everything. So it's just, it's been just such a fruitful experience jumping into this arena. And then at the same time, I still maintain my, my love and my relationships and my fandom for music. I still go to shows all the time. I still support, I still listen to, I'm still up to date on all the new stuff that comes out. Like I'm still, I'm always going to be a, a, a fan of music and, you know, never can never say never that I won't ever get involved in another project. But as it stands right now, like I, I don't really see that on the horizon, you know, me singing for another band or starting something up. It would really have to be the right people, the right situation for me to like really dive into that. I think it's all, everything is very, very inspiring, everything that's happened. And I think that the hustle that you had as a musician, because I do it right now, I've been doing it my whole career, is being a musician is like a side hustle because we have a full-time job. And then because of the years of doing that as a musician, you had that mental capability to make that extra time to do it for literacy. Now, I think that's awesome. That definitely would not have happened maybe at this point of our lives, starting a new venture. And I also think it's very rewarding and interesting that we live in a society and a new time era is the word I'm looking for, where people can start new things later in life and start a whole new chapter pun in, pun intended but uh for <laughs> for you know it's i think it's super refreshing and interesting that that we are not what we set out to be when we're 18 or 20 anymore the way that our grandparents were and in many ways that's sort of how it's supposed to be you know we're we're supposed to grow and adapt and you know and 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 move forward you know and and it, it's you know there are a lot of people that you know just love to live in the past and they they just can't really snap out of that and they can't grow you know and it's like it, it's just nature man you know we're supposed to continue growing and continue expanding our horizons and everything so i'm just following i'm just following mother nature's orders man like <laughs> that's what it is and and like you said yeah having the background in music for such a long time one advantage also that that gave me was, you know, being used to to, to rejection, you know, being used to yes. like putting something out there and not getting the reaction you're anticipating. Absolutely. Or, or just the, the nose and the, yeah. you know, we're going to get that show. No, we didn't get that show. It's our friend. I got the show instead. We're going to get right. signed. No. Are we going to be on that tour? No. And then when the little wins, you have to appreciate those little wins, though. That's something that I've learned over the years. Oh, absolutely. So I've, I've taken that same approach and, and that experience to where, like, if I get a rejection from a publication or from an editor, it doesn't 
cripple me. It doesn't destroy me. You know, it's just like, okay, you know, I've, I've dealt with this for many years as a musician. I know what this is all about. And it's just not the right place at the right time or whatever. No mm-hmm. big deal. Just continue working and, you know, just trying to get better and this and that. Another thing I think that, that resonated from you being a musician beforehand is not being afraid to ask people that have done stuff before. No ego. And like you, you knew that you wanted to write, you wanted to publish. Um, so why not ask your friend that had done it before you? And then in turn, Mike DeSalvo does that to you. That's so interesting. It's wild, man. It's, 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 yeah, you gotta be humble, man. Especially, especially when you're beginning, especially when you're just starting out and you don't know anything. Like, I'm not going to pretend that I know everything when I don't know anything. And I've always, you know, sort of like stuck by that, that philosophy of, you know, there's no such thing as, you know, stupid questions. You there know, are like, none. no. <laughs> so the stupid thing is not asking the question because you're afraid of it being a stupid right. question or looking stupid. No. And, and yo, I will, I will ask the dumb question. I don't care because I, in the end, I want, I want the product to come out correctly or I want the situation to come out correctly. Um, so even if, even if it's the simplest, you know, just trivial subject or whatever, and I'm like, just not a hundred, I just want to make like a hundred percent sure I'm doing the right thing here. You know, uh, you know, I'm sorry if I'm coming off like I may be bothering you, but I just want to make sure just that everything is solid. I will do that, you know, and, and be thorough. And just because I want uh, I want to, to have everything come out the right way. And, you know, and recently I've uh, been consulting uh, a, a new mentor of mine. Um, it's actually a dude that I used to know, like, 20 some odd years ago he used to do sound at this venue called castle heights in queens where i'm from and uh then he moved away and you know he became a teacher english teacher and then he moved back here in new york and uh when i started writing and everything and another friend of mine put me on to him and he's just like yeah that dude you know remember the guy who used to do sound at castle heights well he's 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 doing what you want to do right now on a professional level he does it full time like you should you should talk to him and I'm like oh fuck yeah so I hit up this dude for the first time in like 20 years and I'm just like yo dude fucking I'm trying to write too you know can we meet up get together you know and let me run some questions by you try to like pick your brain and he was all for it and since then you know he's he's been all about it I've been all about you know helping me along the way and and giving me like his his pointers you know from his experience because the dude's a professional like he does the shit full time. He, he's he's where I want to be. So, like, I, of course, I'm going to come to him for advice and, and you know, try to um, emulate even, you know, what he does or what he has done to, to become a success. It's all and it's all about, like we said, just being humble, man, just just admitting that, OK, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> we're not there yet you know so we're gonna need some help and we and even when you know i i'll I'll become a success or whatever i'm still gonna be reaching out to people like even you know even with music too like i had you know been doing music for 20 some odd years and i still i would come to people you know for for help or advice or whatever whether it's you know songwriting advice or you know advice on the business merch dealing with promoters promoting a show booking a show like i i've i've 
dabbled in all of that. And I, I would just come to people straight up and be like, yo, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I want to do it. So kind of like, can you give me a step-by-step process of how this can get done? And uh, it's, it's, it sucks because, yeah, a lot of people are afraid to do that. They're afraid to, like, ask for help with, with, with you know, and, and, and they have these goals and they have these ambitions, but they're afraid to ask for help. And that's like, man, so it's frustrating to see that. Absolutely. And asking for help is the first step to, to succeeding, I believe. Uh, let's go backwards uh, into you growing up. Classic Vox and Hops question at this point. Uh, the soundtrack of your youth. I would like to get a picture of where you came from. Um, do you remember uh, when you were not in control of the radio, what music your parents or guardians listened to? All right. Yeah, this, this, this is funny. Um, yeah, my parents were big into, you know, the 50s doo-wop scene, you know, um, like Jay and the Americans and stuff like that. And the Beatles, too. Um, and then, you know, I have two older siblings and they were more they would listen to more like contemporary music. But my sister, my older sister, her taste in music was very eclectic. And that's how I got exposed to all different types of stuff, you know coming up in the late 80s early 90s she would she was listening to guns and roses but then she would also be listening to public enemy and she'll be listening she'll be listening to enya she'll be listening to heart you know and i got i just soaked all that in and i was digging you know most of it and i i, I kind of remember like my first experience wanting to like share music was i had a my my parents bought me like a a single, a cassette of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. And I put that in like a little boom box that I had. And I remember maybe being like eight, nine years old and, and blasting Bohemian Rhapsody out the, out the window of my apartment. Cause I wanted, <laughs> I wanted the world, I wanted the world to hear this. <laughs> I needed to share this amazing piece of music with the world. And, um, and then I remember not too long after that, I was watching, it was on like national television. There was this one big blowout, like benefit concert after Freddie Mercury passed away. And uh, I remember it featured a bunch of like real famous bands and musicians of the time. And they each like did queen covers and it was this big outdoor concert festival, huge deal. And uh, yeah, just seeing like Guns N' Roses play like knocking on heaven's door, we will rock you. And seeing like Axl Rose running around on stage in his Raider jersey and his kilt. And, sh- and I'm watching that as a 10 year old or whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, man, that looks fun as hell. Like I, that's that's I want to do something like that. That looks mad fun. And so it was maybe two years later where I just started up a musical project with with a friend of mine that I played like Little League with. And uh, he got a bass guitar from his uncle, who was a bass player, and he handed it down to him. And I was like, yeah, I want to sing. It just came, you know, I just, without thinking, I was just, I want to be the singer. And so him and I, you know, found a couple of other dudes our age, and we started our own little project in like sixth grade, seventh grade, where we played mostly like grunge covers, Nirvana, and we played punk rock and shit. But yeah, it was... Like I was exposed to a lot of different genres of music coming up, whether it was rock, metal, hip hop, reggae, um, you know, even classical music, you know, and and 
But the one thing, like my dad, my dad was a big Bruce Springsteen fan, and I cannot stand Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> it hasn't gone full circle yet. Typically, we hate what our parents listen to, and then as we get older, we're like, oh, finally, it's not that bad. But it, it, Springsteen didn't work for you. <laughs> no, no. I don't, never, never. I can't allow it. I just, just <laughs> never got into it. But... um and, you know, being also from Queens, you know, f- growing up in Queens, living in Queens my whole life, it's, this is a very diverse city. And so even just in, in, you know, the everyday walks of life, I was exposed to different cultures and different musics. You know, I, I have, you know, friends from all different races and religions and creeds and, you know, hanging out with them and their families, you know, and... and just taking in all their culture and everything. And like, I mean, and even with Dehumanize, you know, like, like George and Rich, the original members, they're, they're big old school hip hop fans also. So a lot of like the groove that, that permeates and dehumanizing material, a lot of that is rooted in like nineties hip hop, nineties, like gangster rap. That's where a lot of the groove come, came from for Dehumanized. So, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just it was just a real like diverse atmosphere for me coming up in in music. I love that. I love the story. I love the the diversity of it all. Um, The the little bits of yourself coming from everywhere. Uh, That first band that you started, Little League (laughs) friend of yours. Yeah. Uh, how about your first live music experience? Do you remember the first show you went to go see? Yeah, notably like my first underground show. I was, you know, I was 15 and it was at that same venue that I mentioned before, Castle Heights in Queens. And I saw uh, Candiria and this was like this was like 98. Um, and I went into the pit. I had no idea like what any of this was about, like the mosh pit or anything really. But I went up in there because I was just, they just provoked me to do it. You know, like I was, Candiria did that, you know. And um, and then the following week, I went back to, to Castle Heights again. And this time, All Out War came into town. And I had never heard them before. And I remember they, they opened with Soaked in Torment. And when like that first like hard breakdown came halfway through the song, this little runt runs from across the room in the pit. He lands a cartwheel into my temple. My head goes <laughs> slamming into the wall. Shit. <laughs> and it was like fight or flight right there. I was like, you know, am I really cut out for, for like moshing? You know, is this really for me or, or should I just like stand in the back and just like forget it? But no, I got, was, I was all about it. And I was like, yeah, all right. I see what's going on. You know, I see what's up. So let me, you know, let me, let me do my damage now too. And uh, and then, yeah, I, and then I would be going to shows. Me and my boys would be going to shows every single weekend here in Queens and, and, and in Manhattan, seeing all these crazy bands. And uh, yeah, I was like and like I said, I played my first show at Castle Heights when I was 15 years old also. So like, I was already way too young to even be in a bar illegally at that time. <laughs> but they let you know, they let us play. And, and, and it was, so I got, I got, I got like a really early start in the whole like underground metal and hardcore scene, which I'm, I'm grateful for, grateful to come up in that atmosphere. 
well, well, massive cheers to Castle Heights, which is sadly not around anymore. But mm-hmm. all of these venues, we all have that venue in our mind that that yeah. we we did ever, all the firsts and. So, so cheers to everyone that's ever ran a venue such as that. And, uh, you know, I raise my glass to all the ones that aren't around anymore, sadly. Cheers to amazing venues. Yeah. Back to writing. Uh, you growing up in school, was, was school something you enjoyed? Was, was writing something? You, you said that you've written your whole life actively. Back in high school, was, was like English class something that was fun for you? Was it easy for you? Or was writing more of a secret thing that you did for yourself more therapeutically no i I always enjoyed english class um into you know into high school but by the time i got to like my senior year in high school i mean i had enough of school in general i was done i just wanted to go on tour like i was done with school but yeah i always enjoyed writing in, in english class and i would always get you know good grades in writing uh whether it was short stories or essays i was never a big reader when i was that age as far as books goes and it's weird i only got into like reading books hardcore consistently like 10 years ago interesting and since then you know i've i've continue to have been to be a hardcore reader you know uh, uh, so i've like incorporated that with the writing and i can see how one feeds the other definitely but um yeah by the time i got to senior year in high school i didn't like any subject you, you know like i was just done with school period like uh, all right i'm the same for me anymore i did go to college for like a half a semester but that was just to appease my parents and I didn't even really, I barely even like went to class or anything. So once they figured out that I was just like dicking around, they're like, all right, fine. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to pay for your college if you're not going to go. And I was like, yeah, you know, then they're like, well, what do you want to do? And I was just like all shy and I'm like, I want to, you know, do music. And, you know, they're like, that's not a career, you know, <laughs> there's no safety net there. Yeah. No, no, no. You know, that's not a career, you know, you can't do that. This and that. So, um, but yeah, uh, I enjoyed, I enjoyed definitely, you know, English class for the most part. Were there teachers that saw that you had a talent that, that fed you, that pushed you? And then would they be, do they know? I don't know if you're still in contact with any of your teachers, uh, the success that you've, you've had now. It's, um, yeah, some of them did. And, um, like, I think back to this one story. I was in like second grade and we put on some play about John Adams, who was the second president of the United States. And I was chosen to play him, which is like the main role. And I remember getting this, the script and it was a ton of lines to, to, to memorize. And even like other students and even my mom, she's like, you sure you want to, you know, it's not too much for you. And this, and, that. and I was just like, no, nah, I'll give it a try, whatever. And then when I remember performing the play and delivering the lines by memory and like I sensed like the audience kind of like being intrigued or kind of like, you know, I, I felt that was like my first experience of feeling like the live reaction from an audience, like performing on a stage and shit. And um, yeah, that that teacher, you know, she was definitely impressed and, and you know, was more encouraging for for me to like continue pursuing like the arts and stuff. But then by like junior high school, high school, you know, there weren't really any teachers that like singled me out or anything or like really, 
you know, paid special attention to me as far as that goes. They would just grade my shit and that's it. You know? Well, as the transition happened from just writing for yourself to writing lyrics for a band, uh, how important was that for you? to have proper lyrics good i know mike DeSalvo took it very seriously and then as you were getting into bands how important were the quality of other people's lyrics for you when appreciating a band yeah the, the lyrics were they added they added you know another dimension to the song and i was always you know i, I always loved being the storyteller in general i love telling stories and reading stories. So like being able to write lyrics, I wanted to write the story of what the music was, you know, saying, you know, and lyrics, yeah, lyrics are very important, you know, for me, I would always, when I'd be listening to bands, you know, I'd always have the the liner notes in my hand and I'd be reading the lyrics along with, with the music and stuff. Because, like, it just added so much more to the story of the song. And, you know, with, without, without that, it, you know, there was, there was a big piece missing for me. And then it was, like, double the pleasure getting to write lyrics for Dehumanized. Because, like, I, I, just the band name alone, there was so much that I could work with. It was right up my alley. You know, I was, I was always big about social commentary writing and 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 you know power constructs and stuff like that so like dehumanize was the perfect name of a project for me to like write lyrics for i got so much joy out of writing lyrics for that band in particular and getting you know responses from from people saying like that they actually read the lyrics and you know they're actually like knowing where i'm coming from and knowing what i'm saying you know that is kind of like a shock when 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 I when I heard that from people because not not everybody pays attention to the lyrics in general and that really meant a lot to me because you know I, I was the same way like I, I I appreciate lyrics so much um, for um, for dehumanized it was all it was it was it was even more it was even more fun. Because the the music itself had so much character to it, the music had so much personality to it. It was just it was presenting the story to me so vividly. It was easy for me to like come up with the narrative lyric wise for for that music, and then to you know incorporate that into like the motions and the gestures performing it live. Like also, I, I looked at the live performance as just another way to tell the story, yeah. even more like in your face, even in, in, in greater detail. It's like an embodiment of the lyrics. Yeah, like I I always said, like when I was performing with Dehumanize on stage, the band is called Dehumanize, so I don't want to be human up there. Like I I want to be what Dehumanized means in my performance. That's why I hardly like spoke in between songs. I hated speaking in between songs because that kind of like it humanized me up there, you know, and like I, I really was trying to focus on the story of the music and the story of the set list and just 
projecting it physically and, and vocally, you know, really like involving everybody in the room in the tale, <laughs> you know, and, and just making everybody in the room a part of it. Like that was always my goal, lyric-wise, and then performing the lyrics and telling. It's all about storytelling. That's just life as a story, you know. Like you just want to make shit interesting as possible, man. And that's, I've 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 always been about that. Loving stories. Yet you released two books of poetry. Let's answer to that. Uh, How much is self worth? Came out in 2020. Powerless Machine is dropping November 15th. Coming up, people can pre-order it now via Amazon. Um, poetry. Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, I think I like poetry. I, I feel like I'm more of like a story person. Uh, why poetry versus short stories or a story, a book in itself? Yeah, because like poetry is very similar to writing lyrics Absolutely. for bands for me. Yeah. yeah. And um, also I feel you can get a lot more personal with poetry. You can You can really like bypass any filter when when you're writing poetry you can be as raw as you want as upfront as you want about your emotions or your feelings or your thoughts and and then just at the same time the words themselves the lines and the phrasing can create music when it's read or recited so like if you write a short story or something or a novel you know you're not really so much paying attention to the to the to the flow, like the musical flow of the words. The cadence, basically. You got it perfect, yeah. Like I would rather publish books of lyrical prose rather than just like, you know, straight up storytelling. Because I feel like it helps me get my point across more directly and more efficiently. And then at the same time, in, you know, in a real creative way and a real entertaining way, you know, like I'm, I'm still showing and not telling. But at the same time, like the message gets delivered more vividly through poetry, just like lyrics in a song. You're definitely like shedding your skin a lot more than in a, a story would. It's very personal poetry. Uh, you, you start the whole thing off with dedication. Um to your father, which I think is awesome for thanking him for your programming. So talk, talk, talk to me about that decision and how the importance of that for you. Um, well, my father, he passed away last year um, on Father's Day, you know, talk, talk about a showman, right? Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he totally outdid me in any way. Um, but yeah, my father was my main teacher of critical thinking he you know whether it was him just passing down his lessons or just watching him interact with people he really taught me how to um sort of like read into things he he taught me how to be like like yeah like a critical thinker and not be and just kind of like be aware of your surroundings and, and, and sort of like always kind of like hold the thought that, you know, everybody kind of has like, they're kind of coming from an angle or, or, or um, like not, not to not trust anybody, but, you know, always kind of like having the back of your mind, like, 
people are people tend to have like ulterior motives and just, you know, to kind of keep somewhat of a guard up, you know, just to protect yourself, you know, um, he was, he was a great teacher of that for me. And then, you know, he would also pass down like his street smarts, you know, simple things like, you know, where to walk on, on the, you know, where to walk along the sidewalk, you know, to, to like, you know, maximize your chance of like, evading an attacker or a mugger oh, I say, this is a queen's conversation this is not something that i this got from my City, dad queens, brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, he was he was born and raised brooklyn you know stuff like that you know and just like to be mindful of you know just to sense bullshit in people you know and to sense bullshit in authority a sense bullshit in society he never really like exhibited any like political allegiance you know what I'm saying? He never like was was hard leaning one way or another. He always kind of looked at things, you know, from like a centrist point of view and was just like, you know, all right, let me hear your side. Let me hear your side. And then I'll make my decision for myself, which a lot more people should do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you'd like to see that, you know, and I, I think, you know, I think a lot of people do do that, but you know, it's, it tends to be the people who don't do that that are the most vocal in society. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's that's like, you know, a big part of the programming. And then, you know, on top of that, he was just like an honorable man. You know, he wasn't a scumbag by any means. He was there for us all the time. Like we like my siblings, we certainly didn't make it easy on him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he was still there no matter what he, you know, he was a, he was a hardcore disciplinarian, you know, and, and he was strict and he commanded the room. He definitely like, he, yeah, he was, there was a, there was a, there was a respect for his, you know, for his presence and his authority even if I didn't agree or even if times where I hated him still like there was that respect, you know, and just, and as I got older, you know, and all those lessons, you know, I started to, to realize and recognize how they've helped me, you know, to, to, to navigate adulthood. And, you know, uh, I'll just like subconsciously thank him for that. You know, like, yeah, he might've been a hard ass on me, in some instances, but, you know, as I got older, you know, it, it, it shows me like, all right, now I see why he did that, why he was like that. And, you know, it was just coming from a place of love and him just being there for me and, and for, for my siblings and every, and, and, and my mom and just holding down the fort, you know, and just being the protector, being the provider, yeah, you know, he was he was a very honorable dude. And, you know, I just hope that I can kind of like perpetuate that legacy of his. And, you know, just kind of like utilize that programming. And, you know, to to and to utilize it to make the world a better place for, you know, my community, my family, my friends, and 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 everybody. 
So yeah, it's, it's, you know, this book is definitely like a tribute to him in many ways. Um, especially because a lot of it has to do with like feelings towards authority and feelings towards society and injustice and, you know, class warfare and stuff like that, you know, critical theory, you know, and like, yeah, that's it. That's, it was, it was, it was, it was like such an easy decision to, to like dedicate this book to him in particular. Mm. Well, to, to your dad, everything about him except for the Springsteen, right? Yeah, yeah. you got that right. <laughs> um, something that is interesting about a collection of poetry is, is how do you know when it's finished? And then you're like, oh, now it's time to publish it versus the story is, it has a beginning and an end. Uh, that's something that as we were preparing for this, I was asking myself that question. So like, there's no real like set amount of pieces that can, you know, that, that constitutes a book. Really. You can, you can publish a poetry collection of 10 or 15 pieces, you know, and, and they call those chat books. So going into these books, I didn't really have like a set number of pieces in mind. I just wrote. And just like how my lyrics for the bands that I was in sort of like followed the storytelling pattern, so has my poetry. So like my poetry kind of still follows that formula of like a beginning and, a, and you know, and a middle and an end to them. I just I'm just able to recognize like when to wrap things up. And when I felt like, okay, my point has gotten across and now it's time to wrap things up. That's the best way I can, I can describe like my method. And it has a lot to do with storytelling, like that, that kind of thinking. Uh, Whereas like, I mean, there's a lot of like streams of consciousness in here. Don't get me wrong. But still like each poem kind of ends with a, like, all right, a, a point. Like it ends with a, with a, I don't know, like a, a little mic drop or whatever, if you want to call it. The, the part that would be on the breakdown. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's, that's the best way I can, I can explain it of like recognizing when it's time to like wrap one up and it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll pick a theme and then, you know, I'll collect my thoughts on the theme. And then as I'm writing, I'll kind of just like run out of, views or run out of thoughts i'm like okay so i guess it's time to wrap this shit up and then just come up with a creative way to like make the main point be fucking communicated i love that it's very interesting and it's exactly how i approach lyric writing so it definitely i can definitely see it it like a telling a story man just telling a story that's it Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsheads? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer 
and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxenhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. If you don't mind, I would love for you to read one of your poems right now to the Thirsty Thursday gang and to everyone that's going to be listening to this episode afterwards. I'll let you choose whatever you would like. Uh, you could present the book to show off the, 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 the artwork and everything. So, yeah, this is, this is an author-proof copy. So this is basically just a preview of what like the physical copy is going to look like. Here is the little stripe that says not for resale. So, yeah, this is just like for me to make sure like the printed copies will look correct as far as like the formatting goes and the artwork goes and everything. It's 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 a smart thing to do. And I learned to do this just by like, you know, again, asking questions, talking to people, getting advice. And I was told, you know, before the book's published, just make sure you order some author proofs and then make sure it looks okay. This way, when people actually do order it and buy it, you know that they're getting the right product. Shit. Absolutely. So, yeah, the book is called Powerless Machine. And this is the first time I've ever recited any of these pieces. I've never read any of these pieces out loud to anybody. So um, I've never performed any spoken word live ever other than stand-up comedy, but I, I don't consider this stand-up comedy. This piece here, it's, it's titled Society's Dream Machine. And what of the ordinary model of a person, the economic fantasizer performing against self-fulfillment during operating hours, the company car denied a checkered flag, They stave off debilitating depression, refill their emotional tank with a draining disdain for the grind. Each time that tank's gauge nears empty, they hope to avoid a breakdown. Relief is then found in idling. Their coveted destination is incorporeal, difficult to view with indoctrinated headlights, rendering it a mirage. External pressures cause internal combustion and exhausted frustration. Damage is taken to their body, their parts, as they safely engage cruise control on a track that's dispiriting in its uniformity. They ignore malfunction alerts, issues worsening with time, because their drivers need them. Pedal to the metal. Repairs are afforded solely to ensure drivers' transport. If the drivers deem them inefficient, they're put up for sale. So, the ordinary model treads on until bald. Although they reach milestone markers, they're rotting with regret for not racing their own victory lap. By then, the wear and tear is irreversible, brought on by the swerving, the undeserving. Their final destination, guaranteed, is the yard where they're recycled. An odometer ceased, high in number, Low on distance. That is society's dream machine. <laughs> Man, that's heavy. <laughs> it's just about the regular old working class person, you know, who's just putting in their time, going through the motions, eating shit from their, you know, their their corporate overlords or whoever their, you know, whoever their superiors are. And, you know, they may have dreams of their own and they're too afraid to pursue them or they're too discouraged to pursue them. And in the end, they just end up, you know, in the yard, 
just to be recycled. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> a lot of stuff in here, it gets heavy, but, but overall there is, you know, kind of like a positive spin on things <laughs> here and there. Because like I said, at the same, at the same time, I don't want to really like the goal is to empower people. Like, even though the book, the book is titled powerless machine, like I ultimately wish to empower people, you know, along with myself, you know, and, and I want to see people enjoying their life. I want to see people feeling good about themselves, you know, and, and in modern times, the consensus is, man, a lot of people are struggling. A lot of people are in dark places. They're isolated. And there's a huge, there's this lingering feeling of powerlessness amongst like the majority of people in the world today. And that really like frustrates me, gets me pissed because like it's sort of by design from the people who are running the shit. And, you know, it's just like, and it just maybe it, it can take some awakenings or it can take, you know, whatever inspiration, you know, you can use, man, to just recognize the power that's in you. Like we all have it. You know, we all possess freedom and autonomy. It's innately within all of us. And we're just fooled into thinking like it's not, you know, and, and I just if, if this book can do one thing, I just want it to be a reminder that, you know, we all have the power in us. We're all, we are all free. And, you know, we all have our personal autonomy and we're just kind of like manipulated into thinking that we don't. And I'm tired of seeing that. I completely agree with you there. Think people, think for yourself too. And uh, we, we do all have everything we need inside ourselves to accomplish whatever we put our minds to. Especially if you're open to asking for help, which is what I'm going to do right now. Uh, Thirsty Thursday, gang, it's the time. Who would like to ask a question to Michael? L raise your digital hands, as always, as usual. Philip Dervites of the Whispers from the Void podcast is first up. Go for it, Philip. So, hi, Michael. What's up, Philip? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, I just bought your first book because, awesome. honestly, you were talking and I was like, yo, like... I love, I love it. And I was like, okay, let, let, let's just find a book just to see what it's yeah. talking about. And I was like, Thank you, man. okay, that's very interesting. And I was curious about the first title of your, of your first book, how much is self-worth? Yeah. The rumination of a rented slave. Can yeah. you tell me about like the name, the title Uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of like, yeah, the clever play on words, like how much is self-worth meaning like how much are you as an individual willing to put in to, you know, strengthen your inner self? Like how much, how much is self-worth to you, you know? And, um, the ruminations of a rented slave, that's just basically like, yeah, thoughts coming from a person who is, a, a, you know, who works the full-time day job that, you know, just all only serves the purpose of paying for their bills really. And they're not really like living so much. And, um, that's, yeah. So that, that, that's like the, it's in that book too, that book, the content delves more with like mental health issues, 
Mm. I really, you know, I really tap into uh, like my own mental health trials and tribulations that I've been through personally. Uh, there are some pieces that talk about, you know, this really dark period that I went through eight years ago um, where I where I really needed help. And when you're going through something really dark like that, it really brings forth the question of what are you willing to do? How hard are you willing to work to, you know, to help yourself mm-hmm. and to, to, to improve on yourself? And really, you know, it's, it's a question that, you know, we kind of have to ask ourselves a lot of the time. Like, you know, what are we worth to ourselves? You know, and, and, you know, a lot of people have problems. They have issues with like insecurities or they'll, they'll sabotage themselves even because they're afraid of success or, or, or what have you, or they're afraid of love, you know, and they'll, they'll, then it's, you know, so what are you willing to do to, to grant yourself what you want in life? You know, and and because it's going to take work, nothing is handed to us, really. So no matter what, you know, we're going to have to put some kind of work in and be disciplined if we have ambitions. So, yeah, that's that's kind of like the main message of of, of that book. Wow. I, I, I'm touched. It's touching. <laughs> yeah, I like it. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Seriously, I love it. I love that it. Book, I'm excited to read it. It's, it's in that book, too. It's really like, it's my first poetry collection. So it's really raw. And Mm. like, I didn't have any type of like background as far as, you know, learning about the craft. So that was just written straight from like my own version of poetry, kind of. Yeah. And since then, you know, I started to actually learn more about the craft of poetry itself. And so this new book it does read more like an actual poetry book, but how much is self-worth? It's a lot of like streams of consciousness, uh, but, and, and it's not really like your conventional looking poetry book, but it, at the same time, it gives it like its own character that way. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of that first one. It's, I mean, I'm not a book reader, first of all, but like, yeah, I, I heard you talk. And I was like, okay, just let's try it. Let, yeah. Let's just try it because I don't read books. Like yeah. I bought some books in the past, but like I'm not a book reader. I, I yeah. need some. You need to really hook me up yeah. just yeah. to just for me to read something. And it's <laughs> hooking me up right now. So I'm nice. excited to read that. Thank you. And, and you know, the book is, it's short. It's only like 60 something pages, you know, it's just Which is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> if anything, you know, it'll warm you up. It'll kind of like get you into a yeah. rhythm and, uh, but no, but, but I do recommend, you know, getting into books at some point because I learned even in the last like two years, I learned so much about myself and, you know, like the, the ins and outs of our species just from reading a certain handful of books, like in the last couple of years, they answered a lot of questions in my head of why do people behave this way? 
why is this why is the world this way and you know i always thought that way to myself like being so confused and so curious like why why are we behaving like this why are people so violent or why why are there why are there such thing as countries you know like stupid shit like that and in recent years the certain books that i have been coming across and reading answered a lot of questions and um really like the conclusion that I've come to in like simplest terms is like we had it right as a species as hunter gatherers. <laughs> and once, yeah, once we kind of like adapted to, you know, and, and taken on like agriculture as like, you know, our mass means of food production, I think that's when we kind of like made the wrong turn as a species. So mm-hmm. like I, I only came to this like sort of conclusion in my own head within the last like couple of years and it's from reading books. Wow. So like, I definitely recommend like, yeah, they, it, you know, if you can find like that certain niche or like that certain subject, like me, I love evolutionary biology and I love anthropology. So Hmm. I started just with books like in that area and they just opened my mind to, to shit that like, I couldn't even, I couldn't like, categorize clearly first but these books like put shit into clear categories for me and then answered so many questions and it made me realize oh shit that's why this world is so fucking crazy and that's why people walking around in everyday life they don't look like you know they're they're supposed to be doing what they're doing we look like animals in cages in the big ass zoo and we're just pacing back and forth and we're depressed and we don't want to eat and we don't want to play because, you know, we've been duped by this sedentary lifestyle uh, and it's all rooted in our food production. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, that's, the, yeah, that's the whole short of it. You know, but seriously, I can go on for hours. <laughs> I don't I'd rather not. But yeah, books, books, books are helpful. I, I, I love it. Thank you so much, Michael. <laughs> no problem, man. Amazing. Amazing. Up next, we have West Coast Jerry. Hey, Michael. Thanks for uh, joining on the Thursday, Thursday call. Uh, I was going to ask what your favorite type of, or favorite subject to read is, but then you had answered that. Yeah. Uh, and then I thought of a second question and then you went super deep. So I'm going to go the opposite of deep. Uh, do you remember who was on that Candiria bill? I'm a, I'm a huge Candiria fan. Yeah. Uh, all I remember is main support and main support was everybody gets hurt. And they were uh, they were a well-known New York hardcore band, you know, back in the 90s, early 2000s. And it was my first time. I had never heard of them at that time either. And seeing them perform and seeing the pit for them, it was ridiculous. Chris B, the bass player, he was one of those dudes, man. He would he would get into the pit with his bass, be swinging that shit. He, you know, his energy was like unparalleled. And then there was, you know, Rob, the vocalist, he was like this little, he was wearing this all white, like Adidas jumpsuit, like mad Guido looking. It was just ridiculous. You know, it was, it was, it was craziness. And then, and then Candiria went on and it was just even more bedlam. And they opened with pages from Surrealistic Madness. I was just, yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. It was like. Uh, and I was like, yo, I can't wait to start playing shows myself. Like, it was so inspiring, man. So motivating to see 
those you know those bands doing their thing like that but all I, yeah i can just i think there was this band also called d9 that was on the bill i could be wrong though they were another like local band but definitely everybody gets hurt was main support i remember that shit it was chaos chaos like people on the stage stage diving dancing on stage just or just standing there like fucking bodyguards and shit like it was just gangster i'd never seen that before you know here i am watching like i said watching you know video footage of guns and roses do their thing or metallica you know rock star shit and then here i go to this underground show and it's chaos man it's just fucking no holds barred and i loved it small ass like 50 capacity room like <laughs> just wilding out yeah this shit was sick uh michael thank you so so much for taking the time hanging out with me talking about your life talking about music talking about writing uh what an inspiring journey you've been on uh storytelling is the the thematic that's been raining through this whole conversation um everyone go check out powerless machine drop november 15th you can get it on amazon i will put the link to that in the description of this podcast um Michael, it was amazing. I really appreciate you hanging out with me. Massive cheers to you. Thank you, guys, man. Thank you so much. Like I said, man, it's an honor sharing the mic with you. My favorite death metal band for fucking decades now. Fucking Cryptopsy. You gotta give it up, man. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right today. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was an awesome Thirsty Thursday virtual hang. We were chatting, uh, me and a few of the members, in the days that followed this conversation, and we were all saying how amazing it was. It was one of our favorite hangs. Michael was just so goddamn inspiring. I could just sit there and listen to him talk forever. What an inspiring human. What a beautiful outlook on life that he has. Uh, somewhat tortured, but yet completely clear. I think it's really truly inspiring. I hope that you went to go pick up Powerless Machine, his brand new collection of poems, which dropped back on November 15th. I'm so goddamn stoked that he agreed to read for the very first time publicly one of his poems to a group of people. I hope that inspires him to do more things publicly and sharing his art in a brand new way. I think it's just goddamn awesome. Massive cheers to Michael. I cannot wait to hang out with you again. Now, if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive one email a month that will contain all of the details of everything that has been happening recently in the world of the Vox and Hospital podcast. You'll get to see which episodes I dropped recently. We'll get to see which episodes I have coming up. You will also get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently. You also get to hear about any projects that I have in the works before I announce them to the public. And trust me, I always have a lot of stuff going on. You will also get to see which albums Jerry Monk, Vox and Hops' Metal Architect, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist, which is available on both Apple Music and Spotify. Trust me, if you're looking for any new music to listen to, well, check out the Brutal Awakenings playlist. Jerry just has an ear for brand new music. He has his finger on the pulse of what's going on in the world of metal. 
Trust me, you will not be disappointed. You will definitely find an album that you will cherish forever. There's just so much going on in the world of the Vox and Hospital podcast. I'd hate for you to miss a single thing, so sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hospital podcast brought to you by Sound, Talent, Media, and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a killer weekend. I will be back next week with, yet again, two episodes, one on Tuesday and another on Friday. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Grey Street.